This is Dan Fagelli. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Since the coronavirus has struck, business strategy has been in shambles. Companies are flailing to figure out what's next, flailing to figure out how they're going to adopt new technologies, to adapt to new realities, and artificial intelligence is thrown into this fray. Some projects are going to fall by the wayside. Some might become more important. AI already has a lot of inherent challenges with deployment, and we've spoken about those at great length through the episodes over the years here on the AI and Business Podcast. And when it comes to where AI fits into the new business realities, what's more, what's less important, I wanted to bring in a very high-level perspective. And so this week, we're speaking with Gary Swart. Gary Swart is a general partner at Polaris Partners. He was previously CEO at Odesk, which is now a very large company called Upwork, which is an outsourcing platform. Gary was with us about three years ago, speaking about some of the important business dynamics of artificial intelligence in terms of building a strategic advantage. I would highly recommend checking out that older episode. And I wanted to pull Gary in as a VC and get his thoughts on where is AI going to find its way into business amidst all this crazy hubbub, and where maybe is it going to become less important? This is a fellow who looks at a lot of companies and has seen a great number of companies through the years. He's worked with IBM. He's worked with exciting startups. And so wide perspective is, I think, what this question requires. And Gary definitely brings the heat. A lot of people think that we we actually sell our market research to venture capitalists, and that's not true. The companies that work with Emerge tend to be large enterprises, mostly in financial services, but also in the public sector. We work with various government agencies and occasionally pharma and some other spaces as well. VCs just happen to be a great source of insight. And I'll be honest with you, VCs can be a little bit challenging sometimes. You know, some people would say the word stuck up. Maybe I'm not necessarily going to throw that that same insult out there. But, you know, there's a certain kind of personality with a VC, a certain kind of image they have to give out there. And sometimes I I endure those in order to, you know, meet some interesting companies or get some interesting perspective. Gary is quite the polar opposite. There's hardly anybody friendlier on the show we've ever had, more helpful and easy to book an interview with. And Gary really did a tremendous job in bringing, I think, a, a you know, realism, but a pinch of optimism and a nice broad perspective to this topic. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. I hope you check out our much earlier episode with Gary from years ago. If you type in SWART, S-W-A-R-T, on Emerge.com, I'm sure you'll be able to find that older episode. But without further ado, we're going to hop into this. This is How is AI Going to Make Its Way Into the Business? with Gary Swart of Polaris Partners. So, Gary, uh, you're in the Bay Area. We, we had you on some three long years ago, so it's great to be able to connect again. And now that we're catching up, and I wouldn't have known this when I first had the idea to reach out to you, we're in the middle of this coronavirus crisis. And I think a lot of people are asking, how are artificial intelligence priorities in the enterprise, in big businesses, going to change with this coming about? People are selling services, products into these companies, and now they're wondering, do, do they need me anymore? What do they want? What are your thoughts there about how AI is going to shift? Well, Dan, it's great to be back. I can't believe it was three years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. Time flies. It does. Um, it does. Right? Although it feels like I've been cooped up in my house for three years already. But, <laughs> um, you know, first and foremost, I think a lot of these AI systems were designed to learn from historical data. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, the present is going to look very different from the past. And these AI systems are going to have to change, right, in order to model what it's going to look like going forward, because otherwise, uh, you know, it's built on a world that that's probably not going to exist any, anymore. So I think at the highest level, 
recognizing that is probably important. But maybe more specific to your question, you know, I think for AI and uh, B2B AI, you're really going to have to deliver value uh, as an AI company. Uh, and I think the opportunities are are vast, you know, as companies have to do more with less, the economy is is going to be a mess for a while. And yet people are still in business. And so you still have to get work done. So if you just take it from the perspective of future of work around augmenting employees with technology or automating what you can, these uh, companies are going to have to do more with less. So they're going to be open for augmentation and automation in order to help them get their work done. Yeah. And you said really delivering value. I want to double down on that. And then we'll talk more about this augmentation automation, some of the challenges there that I think you'll have some great insights on. The doing more with less side of things. It feels like on the one hand, yes, they might say, man, this is a great prompter to digital transformation. And it sounds like on the other hand, they're going to have a harder time kind of spending dollars. When you think about the companies that can, quote unquote, deliver value, do you mean less of the toy applications that you and I have probably both been frustrated with already? The whole kind of pie in the sky, hey, we do AI for X, and maybe we can convince some bank to give us money for a silly little pilot, some pharma company to give us money for a silly little pilot. Are you saying companies need to pull back from that, which is probably advice you would have given before? Is is that maybe more urgent than ever? Or do you mean delivering value in maybe an even different way? No, I think to your first point, it's more urgent than ever. Look, whether you're selling AI or infrastructure or cloud services, whatever it is, I think every company right now is taking a step back and they're reevaluating what's necessary and what's unnecessary, right? Everybody is looking at it and saying, is this essential? And I think a lot of SaaS companies are going to see churn from things that are, they're, they're nice to have. Uh, they're just not essential. Yeah. And uh, it's so funny. A friend of mine, uh, he, he created a little video and it's he and his wife and they're walking around his house and his wife is asking him, essential or not essential? And he's picking <laughs> things up and he's saying, and he's a chef and he's in his kitchen. He's like, this knife, essential. He's like, this Picture, not essential. And it it was eye-opening for me because all of my companies are doing that right now. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's not that we don't like your service. We like your service. We like your technology. We we actually got value out of your AI. It's just not essential right now. And so, oh, so I think that you know, we're likely to see higher churn. And one of my companies was even talking about silent churn, which is they're an insurance company, basically. And what's happening is uh, some of their clients are just not paying their bills. So it's not like the customer has said, hey, we don't want your service. The customer is still using it. They just can't afford to pay the bill. Yeah. So (laughs) I think if you take the highest level and you just say, you know, essential or non-essential, some things even adding value are going to get cut. It's a prioritization of value. Yeah. Well, this is, you probably have to think a lot about this as it stands, because when you're investing in firms, you you have to ask the question, does this have staying power? Is this something that can really win in the market because it can really be the backbone of something new? Um, And not every company builds off of 
that, but a lot do. And certainly in times like this, companies that aren't there are going are gonna to take the heat. Maybe you don't have to name names. Maybe you could. It doesn't really matter to me, Gary, so long as the, the use cases are strong. What are examples of maybe something that's that you think silent churn or overt churn might happen more likely to versus something that wouldn't? How do you draw that line about essential? People are asking themselves, how can we be more essential, right? And, and I think your opinion there will be enlightening. Well, I think, you know, there's some things right now where it's obvious. It's like, okay, Airbnb, people are traveling less. Yes, yeah. they're still open for business. Can you still book a cabin in Tahoe on Airbnb? Sure. Should you? No. There was an article, <laughs> it was either New York Times or Wall Street Journal this week. Lyft and Uber are still open for business. Rides are down significantly. Now, that's obvious. And after people are cleared to sort of ease back into their daily lives, some of these things are going to snap back. The question is, are they going to snap all the way back to what they were? Yeah. And there's some businesses that are not going to snap all the way back. So for example, we at Polaris invest in technology and healthcare. We're doing more at the intersection of technology and healthcare. And we've been fans of telehealth for a while. And uh, we've been watching the, the different companies. And till now, up until uh, COVID-19, it's been a what I call a change mode sale, trying to convince people to do something remotely that they can do face to face. Yep. But here we are two months in and you don't have to convince anybody. No, you don't. No, you don't. Everybody's bought in. So this is one industry or one example of where I don't think it's going to snap all the way back to the, where it was. So if you think about it on two continuums all face-to-face to to all remote. And where we were mostly face-to-face, we were very close to the left side of that continuum, mostly face-to-face. Now we're mostly remote. It's going to snap back, but I don't think it's going to go all the way back. And telehealth now is here to stay. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's interesting to say, you know, look at at a business and say, like uh, movie theaters, for example, I don't know if movie theaters are going to go back to the way they were. No, no. So many Netflix subscriptions just got bought, right? Exactly. And if I'm producing movies or releasing movies, I'm probably thinking about a new normal there. How could we release movies, a new release to the home and charge a lot for and maybe even make more money? So you start to think about how a business is going to change. But I also think, Dan, that it's really important to look out beyond uh, COVID-19. Of course, yeah. And I was in a meeting with a Harvard professor earlier this week, and she said it really succinctly by using the metaphor of soccer or European football. And she said, you know, when the game starts and the, the ref blows the whistle and the ball doesn't go forward, it goes backwards. And maybe it goes back again. And if you've ever watched soccer, you see the ball being played around the, the field in the backfield, and then it advances forward. So it's not like they're going backwards. They're thinking about their strategy for scoring the goal down in the future. And sometimes huh. the ball has to come back. And I think business is going to do the same thing. Businesses are going to say, okay, how do we look out to moves And how do we think about what's going to be important in the future with a lens on something like a pandemic? As an investor now, forever more, I'm going to look at businesses and say, hmm, what would be the implications of a pandemic, an economic crisis, trying to be more strategic about uh, where to invest? Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole nother 
a ball of wax that comes to uh, what are the markets that'll have more opportunity and yet, and that that could be its own topic. But uh, steering to sort of this theme of where is AI going to sit within the enterprise, you had mentioned another topic that I'll touch on here, and that was companies will have to do more with less. I mean, I think we were talking about this in the office today. I mean, most of our enterprise clients are going to be enterprise innovation or strategy people who are thinking about how do we gain an advantage in the future, et cetera. And we're seeing a lot of shift towards, you know, we could say efficiencies, we could say streamlined operations, but honestly, it feels like the watchword is honestly cost cutting at the end of the day, right? Essential, non-essential is a cost cutting, you know, way of thinking about things. It feels like when you're cost cutting, and this is an AI consideration that maybe exists for other software uh, stuff, but for AI, I think is challenging. Yes, it would be great to automate certain tasks. It would be great to augment uh, certain team members to be even more productive. It'd be great to streamline certain processes so that we can get more done, even if we're remote, even if there's less people in the office, whatever, uh, or, or less people altogether, to be honest, as, as will be the case with many enterprises. However, AI requires this new normal of, you know, I'm beating up that term now, but this new normal of skills, this new normal of data infrastructure, this new normal of company culture, valuing data and understanding use cases. And there's so much understanding and change that goes into actually deploying AI. Uh, so many hurdles to overcome. It almost feels like, yes, we want to automate and augment, but why don't we just go lean on RPA where we really don't need any new core skills? Like, why are we going to go learn all this crazy stuff that's going to cost a lot of money to eventually gain benefit from AI? So I, I kind of see this this time gap with AI, Gary. Do you see the same thing? Is that a concern for you? Or are there ways you think about getting around that? Well, I, I, I do. And I think it goes to what we talked about up front, which is, you know, a lot of this AI has been trained based on historical data and now it needs to be retrained. And some of that retraining has to be done with humans. Like you have to watch the behaviors and then model and predict and improve based on it. And so I am concerned that there's going to have to be a retraining. There is going to be a little bit of a step back before yeah. before you can go forward. But, you know, if I were selling AI, like I always think about it as a former sales guy and CEO, I think about, okay, how, how the heck are you going to sell this thing? And it is an, is it an aspirin or a vitamin? Yeah, that's it. Like, is this an aspirin? Is this going to, is this going to help me to, to cut costs? And in a lot of instances, they've already cut costs, but now business has to go on. And so you don't want to lose customers. So you have to serve the customers you have. And you still have top line goals, but you have those top line goals and that serving customers with less people. Yeah. And so how can you cost effectively not see a degradation in your net promoter score or uh, how do you keep in contact with your customers and uh, satisfy and delight your customers with less people and less resources? And so if I were selling AI solutions to augment workers or automate workers today, I, I'd be focused on that, right? It's, it's you've, yeah. you've had to cut costs, but now you still have to deliver and try and figure out how, is my thing essential or non-essential? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I think about that, like, okay, let's just say we're talking about exactly what you're talking about. We're going to augment our team. Let's just say it's customer service at a retail bank. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to route email messages and chat messages more effectively. We're going to handle the low-hanging fruit questions right away with some kind of automated system. Maybe we're even going to step up our IVR to route people more effectively and handle uh, messages more effectively as well. And Let's say AI is part of the mix. In order to do that, 
we need to collect massive troves of previous data. We maybe need to look at the new trends that have happened since COVID. I guarantee you retail banking concerns, you know, if we look at number of tickets by ticket type over the last six months, we'd see a pretty big shift. I don't know exactly what it would be, but maybe more people checking their balances, maybe more people wiring. I have no idea, but, but behavior is changing. So we would need to do a huge dive into the corpus of our data. And we got to do this remote. That's horrible. We need to somehow determine the word tracks and the low-hanging fruit use cases that we need to structure. We need, we need our C-level people to understand. No, boss, we're not wasting time. These three months to understand our word tracks and understand our historical chat data actually makes sense. Please don't cancel the project, boss. This is important. This is part of doing AI. Like We need that culture shift. We need that data deep dive. We need all that jackhammering of our data infra. And it's like, is that actually going to happen right now? Part of me feels like it's super not, Gary. Part of me feels like it's not until we get in the black, until we can think about the future again, only then are we realistically going to be able to invest in this new soil that can actually grow AI successfully, which is not the enterprise today. That's not pessimism, but it, it, it does feel like a realism. Would you disagree with that? Because I'm getting a little nervous for the startups out there. No, I would absolutely agree. And I'm, I'm really glad you, you characterized it this way. And companies who are trying to sell into the enterprise are going to have to think about this. And so what I say is you sort of have to do the job before you get the job. You've got to prove it. And what is it that you can prove? Maybe it's not your entire use case. You know, it's not everything that your AI startup can do, but it's how can you add value immediately in a frictionless way? So maybe it's one-tenth of your solution, but it's free. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's this implementation gap. So, you know, if you if you look at steady state in your business and you 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 draw X, Y axis and the line is up and and marginally up and marginally to the right. OK. And all of a sudden you come along and you're saying, look, in a, with our technology, we're going to help you increase this productivity curve. It's going to get steeper. Yeah. But it's not going to get steeper on day one. You're going to have to go. As a matter of fact, it's going to be less steep for some period of time while we're implementing the solution, while we're yeah. gathering this data, while we're you know impacting IT because they're going to have to make it work with all your systems and integrate data and the like. And you're absolutely right. People don't want any productivity dip right now. Nope. They don't want any hit to that line that's marginal. No, they don't. Right. Yeah. Even if the promise of it being steep to the right when we're done with this dip below the curve of implementation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to know how long is that dip yeah. and how deep is that dip? And so as an AI company, I encourage people to think about how you how do you add value or how do you prove the value with no dip? Because those are the things that are going to get used. Yeah, Gary, right? oh, man, what an important thing to say. And you know, that's a real challenge for AI firms, right? Because like you said, and I think you, you really crushed it, it might be a tenth of your product. Because generally speaking, if I'm, you know, I'll pick a company, you know, if, I, if I'm some anti-money laundering firm, you know, and, and I have to jack into all these different systems in a bank, it's like, oh man, how do I find the sliver that's immediately value adding layer? That might mean we need to integrate with less data sources, period. And instead of overhauling the process, we're simply informing the existing experts with like one stream of data and one part of our trained algorithm, but it's easy to set up. Maybe we can't make as much money off it, but we get a damn foot in the door. Maybe that's the dial back a lot of companies are looking at. 
I think you're right. And so let me give you a quick example. I just thought of one. Go for it. Where I think they executed really well. So the company is called Swiftly. And I'm an advisor, uh, not an investor through Polaris. Uh, Johnny Simpkin, really sharp. And they basically, he uh, sold his first company, was living in LA, moved to San Francisco, and decided he didn't need a car because he's living in San Francisco. However, uh, he realized a short while later that public transportation sucked. <laughs> like oh, he yeah. Was, oh, yeah. You know, struggling to, you know, the bus isn't on time, the train. And he found himself taking more uh, lifts, which uh, is expensive. And, it is. And it is. Not even that fast getting around the city. So he saw a need in the market for a little piece of software that sits in public transport and can give you data about when is the bus really going to be here? Forget about what they say. I want to know when it's really going to be here. And I know because I know what the bus does every day. And then it could send an alert right to my mobile phone. And this way, if, I, if I'm if i early to the bus, that's fine. But if the bus is early, that's really bad because the next bus isn't coming for a half an hour. Yep. So he built this um, software, a little sensor goes in the bus. And the, the old systems, there's companies that do that, but they're really expensive, really heavyweight to implement, millions of dollar uh, deals. And his is very lightweight, easy to use. But then it turns out that a lot of this data already exists and it's publicly facing and available online. Whoa. So when Johnny Simpkin applied their algorithm to this publicly facing data, there is already incredible value in the insights from their AI. Yeah. So he started looking at that and saying, well, it's really easy to get a customer if you just show them this. And I'm like, well, why don't you just send it to them? And so you send it to the person who's responsible for keeping the buses on time. And you say, hey, we've been watching your buses for the last month. And what we noticed is the number 31 bus is late every day. And we know why. If you want to know why, call us. And it was like a 90% hit rate. So it's a perfect example of doing the job before you get the job, taking what already exists. And so if you can get somebody to trust you, give you the data, and you come back with the proof, that's where, you know, it's this, it's this lack of friction in the implementation where you're delivering value. In Swiftly's case, it was delivering value without even the permission to deliver value. Yeah. And and I guess in, in that case also, I can see the startup's trepidation, and here, here's what it is for me. Well, my barrier to entry, my moat isn't as deep, right? If it was my sensors on these this bit of equipment, and I was the only other the only person that could access, get access to this, now that feels like the real AI advantage here. But at the end of the day, man, it's just you know how low can you keep your costs, and how much value can you add if you can move nimbly and train algorithms, and can you be the one that closes those deals? Maybe later you can get some deeper lock in, but like. If you can get the business up without all that wacky stuff, you know, maybe it is less of a moat, but but you're certainly putting less risk out there. Maybe that's the play for today. Yeah. And if you think about what would it take to actually get into the city of San Francisco and get them to put a sensor on every oh, bus. Oh, goodness gracious. And, yeah. And, and 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 forget it. Like we just talked you, about. You, li- you literally have to go in at night with a backpack and a mask on and stick them under there, right? Exactly. Like at this point, it's a non-starter because it's like, hey- our ridership is down 60%. We're like, we're firing drivers right and left. Like we, no, we're not, we don't have yep. time for yep, yep. And how much are you going to charge us for this? No, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So Good call. I, if, you, if you think about that, you know, you've definitely got to be a cure for a migraine headache. 
Um, and you've got to be willing to prove it. And if you prove it, if I have a really bad migraine and you make my migraine headache go away, I'm going to say, hey, where do I get more of this? Like, I need that. And it sounds like you got to be able to do that in a swift way with less of that that dip that you talked about. And that might mean less of your own proprietary hoopla off the bat, right? You're going to have to swallow that horse pill and just accept, yeah, there might be other people gunning for that same public data. You better move because right now is not the time to get deep and get integrated and cost people more money. Uh, it sounds like that's a trade-off. I think it's a trade-off. And you know, somebody said to me once, I remember when I was running Odesk in the early days, and we were charging about 30% on every gig, right? Yep, so yep, yep. for those that don't know, Odesk now Upwork, a marketplace for talent, a higher manage and pay talent via the web. So uh, basically a perfect solution for where we are today. I was just, I was there about 10 years too early. But anyway, um, we, <laughs> yeah. um, we were charging 30% and we decided to drop our cut to 10%. And I'll never forget one of our board members said to me, is there more risk in overpricing or underpricing? And the answer was overpriced. Why was it overpriced? Well, because we were trying to own the market. And we had so much friction on the front end with regards to price, we were we were not getting an opportunity to prove to those customers how good our solution was. Yeah. And so we lowered from 30% to 10% and took off. <laughs> the volume went through the roof. And about six months later, we were right back to where we were from a from a revenue standpoint. So while we decreased our revenue um, significantly from 30% to 10%, it only took us six months to get back to where we were. You know, we tripled basically in that six yeah. months. Yeah. So the answer was overpriced. And I think that customers, if you actually prove the value, they'll be willing to pay for it. And they'll also, I think you'll build incredible loyalty with your customers because they'll remember you're the one who help them through this time of essential, not essential. Yeah. Like you become essential. Yep, yep. So lesson learned there, and I think the concrete examples are going to help to sink this home for the product and service folks that are still trying to work with enterprise, but this is obviously a bit of a crazy time. Gary, I know that's all we have for this episode, but thanks so much for being able to join us again. Dan, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Can't believe we're out of time already. <laughs> and let's not make it three years before the next one. You bet, you bet. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you are tuning in just to sort of wet your whistle and your curiosity, then hopefully this episode has been useful. If you're tuned in because you need to make a business case for AI, that is to say you need to present clients with a potential plan, a potential roadmap for adopting, deploying AI, and you want info at your fingertips, just in this episode, Gary talked about a number of different business functions, a number of different industries. If you want to find use cases, find ROI evidence, find best practices across sectors and have that immediately available to you in a dashboard, then I'd recommend you check out Emerge Plus. You can go to emerj.com slash p1. Not only will you have our breakdown of our AI best practice guides, which help with AI deployment, the measurement of AI ROI, building talent and teams, anything you'd need to steer a client the right way, but also our complete capability matrix of artificial intelligence across industries, looking at what specific big companies are doing, looking at particular kinds of business use cases, and being able to have on hand the use cases and data that you need to be able to make a strong business case. Go to emerge.com p1 to learn more about Emerge Plus. That's all for this episode. I'll catch you here for our next episode on the AI and Business Podcast. 